So hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, this is our first edition of a CTTA interview series. Uh, we hope to bring you kind of a, a very you know, mixed variety of folks uh, talking about the business of towing, uh, talking about uh, the job of towing, the education involved in towing. Uh, we hope to bring in some legal experts to talk about that side of it as well, um, but all in good time. Today, uh, we have with us today Sam Johnson. Uh, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Great. CTTA member, uh, also owner of Capital City Automotive. Uh, and starting a new business, uh, a blue-collar guy, sort of an online video presence. So welcome, Sam. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you being here today. So just want to start a little bit about uh, with your background, kind of where you came from, how you uh, came into the towing industry, and, and sort of who you are a little bit. Okay. Uh, well, I'm a third-generation blue-collar entrepreneur I'm specializing in automotive. My grandfather had a Lincoln Mercury dealership and an auto wreckers and tow company at one point my uncle had a body shop and towing and then uh my dad has been in the body shop and towing business for the greater part of 40 years wow. so kind of the family business uh unexpectedly ended up at b&j after having multiple different jobs in the automotive industry working for other people outside of the family business and started in the body shop collision side went from estimator to uh, shop foreman to production manager, uh, and then made my way over to the tow companies. And, and like a lot of people, ended up in towing totally by chance. Uh, gotcha. Manager quit, and a cell phone and some keys were dropped on my desk. And then 24 hours later, I was called the tow manager. So <laughs> the learning curve, story the learning curve was a little vicious. <laughs> um, but it's been about uh, pretty close to 20 years. Oh, wow. So uh, been at it a little while and um, enjoy it. Enjoy the challenge of every day and no day no two days being the same there's, right there's certainly a lot of excitement uh outside of my line of work uh i'm married i have two children i have a daughter that's just about to be three years old i have a son that's nine uh and very much like me he's into racing and uh doing uh any type of motorsports type thing so you guys like to build a little bit too like, right like to build and fabricate for a long time i maintained a fabrication shop where i built pre-runners and desert trucks i did some desert racing and some short course racing myself recently taken uh, a little hiatus from that so we can focus on my son's racing stuff um he's in his second full season and he's running fourth in points and trying to trying to eke his way up there to first or second so nice um really enjoying doing that and it's a great environment for me to teach life lessons mm -hmm. at the racetrack overcoming adversity and having to be a competitor on the track but appear on in the pits and you know work well and play well with others and and sportsmanship and all the things that come along with that that's so, awesome yeah that's awesome the more positivity we can spread right yeah cool so um we talked a little bit about how you got into the industry, uh, how you ended up at B&J. Um, can you talk a little bit about sort of uh, the, the business climate that you found yourself in uh, and sort of how you had to sort of change things up a little bit okay. in what you did? Well, my, uh, like I mentioned, my, my career in towing started at B&J Body Shop and Towing, and I, I came up under the umbrella of an auto club tower. We'd always had a relationship uh, with being a AAA provider and providing roadside service. Uh, myself and my two business partners at one point bought my dad out so he could retire. And then very shortly thereafter, um, we had the opportunity to come up to buy Capital City Automotive. Mm. Uh, six months after we had bought my dad out. Wow. So very, very quickly. 
Uh, I stepped in, started running that business, got a chance to kind of test drive it for a short period of time, uh, and made the decision to move forward to purchase it, which essentially doubled us in size. Mm-hmm. Uh, did a couple things. Um, doubled us in size, gave us a secondary location, and had given me the opportunity to learn remote management right. and having to run multiple facilities and, and everything that encompasses that. So um, right about that timeline, which was about uh, 2010, right, right around in that era, there was a lot of changes in our industry, mm-hmm. rebidding of territories and zones, zone changes, some operators going out, uh, some growing in, in size and call volume. So it, it really made us step up to a over 50 size company, um, multiple, you know, 45 different drivers, 35 units out on the road, uh, 6,000 calls a month call volume. Yeah. And it, it really strained the systems, right? Uh, you know, not only on the individual personnel, but um, in training and equipment and fleet management. I mean, across the board, it really pushed us to the to the outer brink of, you know, very high volumes that have to be run very, very efficiently. So part of the change, it would be, uh, we find ourselves in a situation of high volume, low profit model, having to run it very, very efficiently, and then having that contract go away. And when those contracts uh, go away, they typically go away at a breaking point, meaning they don't phase out slowly. Mm -hmm. It's, It's overnight. And our business model was, uh, essentially 80% auto club. So in very short order, we had 80% of our sales removed. Just staring at a big hole. Staring at a big hole. And in that challenge lies a lot of opportunity. Right. Um, with those contracts, you, you typically have an exclusivity agreement. So you're not allowed to go out and freely market yourself to the other uh, insurers or other lines of business. Um, there's some other uh, new lines of business technologies and apps and things like that that you weren't uh, you were also signed out of. So, uh, for the first time in my 20 year career, you know, essentially the chains were off and I had free reign to market my business how I see fit. Uh, we did a radical and very rapid downsize mm-hmm. of fleet and drivers and personnel. We looked at what do we do really well and how do we expand that, which was customer service. We had learned over the many many years of providing high volume services that we had kind of mastered a formula mm-hmm. on how to get out there on the roadside and efficiently uh, in short transactions or interactions with your customers have the optimum experience. Be able to provide to them service that was different than some of our peers by not being rushed on scene, but being able to be super efficient. So gotcha. able to kind of cater to what the customer wanted to see um, provide the good service, provide the excellent communication, uh, and at the same time uh, be able to move rapidly through the, the interaction where you're not delaying their day even further. Because everybody that you're going to experience didn't plan on being there that right. day. Right. Every right. single individual that you're going to encounter is having an inc- having an event or having an incident they did not plan on that morning. Mm-hmm. So you being fast and expedient is very uh, much a focus of the entire experience, but fast and expedient without being rude or mm-hmm. short or inattentive. And, right. And, you know, the car or the vehicle is not the most important thing inside of that uh, environment. It's the customer. Right. And the, and the car really is secondary. And so many times we're so focused on how are we moving, transporting, uh, you know, lining up to the car, loading the car, 
where the car's going, how the car got there, that we forget that the customer is really the most important person inside that whole experience. Right. While you're doing your tie-down and all this, there's a person standing Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes it's, it's a very simple matter of effectively communicating with that customer and being that point of contact problem solver. Yeah. So they're going to present to you some sort of challenge, whether they change the drop address or whether uh, you know, you're on the side of a highway, it's a busy roadway, and it's just simply not safe. I mean, there's no... Right safe location on the side of a freeway with those kinds of speeds going by you, where do you put the customer to put them in the best place of safety? And then how do you explain to them it's in their best interest to be in that place, not over your shoulder watching you load their Mercedes because they're really concerned about how you're going to handle their car. Right. So those types of communication and effective communication with the customer change that experience and provide that level of customer service that differentiates you from other peers or other providers in our in our market or in our industry absolutely so so you've downsized you focused on what you do really well and improved that even further so now that you're kind of in that position you've shorn off a lot of things what what is where does that leave you does that leave you a little more a little more able nimble and and able to pivot around so one of the challenges with running the really high volume model is that so much of your time and attention is simply just managing that, mm-hmm. whether it's managing personnel, whether it's managing fleet, whether it's managing the call volume of that particular day, that you really have little time uh, or energy to go out and market retail or market commercial or, 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 or embed yourself in your community the way that you might want to. And mm-hmm. now that we're smaller, uh, we, we can react much, much quicker. We're very much, uh, we're much more nimble than we used to be. I, I'd compare it to you know, driving an oil tanker through the ocean versus a speedboat. There you go. If we have a new customer, we can respond very, very rapidly to what that customer might demand or ask of us. Right. Um, the other thing that we were able to do is what was surprising was actually one of the things we discovered inside of unwinding the relationship and downsizing was we had a pretty high volume of organic retail sales. And we didn't market retail. I mean, this sounds ridiculous. Interesting. To sit here today and say <laughs> we didn't market retail sounds embarrassing. Honestly, um, but we didn't, yeah. and our reputation was our word-of-mouth referral system, and we actually had a fairly significant number of retail sales. And I looked at that and said, we're doing something right in that category. Right. How do we just expand the category? I, I don't necessarily need to go out and get new lines of business. How do I grow the most profitable line of business that I'm already doing? Mm-hmm. And so I really focused in on, in today's world of technology and internet and social media and all those things, how do I put myself in a place of best opportunity to reach the consumer base I'm trying to ultimately get? If we, I think most towers, and I don't want to speak for all towers, but I think most towers, if we had 100% retail sales all day and enough call volume to do it, we would all be pretty happy. Yeah. And so how do I get as close to possible with that, right. um, with that uh, experience and right. that type of customer base? Right. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad that's kind of going well for you. And, and, and so... With that sort of done and in place, and with the speed which technology is starting to come into the tow industry, five, ten years down the road, where do you see, you know, these these larger tow companies? Are they going to have to maybe do something similar? Or, you know, what are these new kind of technologies, all of this in the future? What, what's this going to do to what a tow company today looks like? Um, I think we're seeing some... Rapid changes in our industry on what uh, tomorrow's tower is going to look like. I would be, 
I won't say five years down the road because I think that's too far to look. Hmm. I think uh, 18 to 24 months is kind of the window that I'm looking at for the future, uh, at least on what I would feel comfortable doing any kind of predictions of. I think because of insurance and liability, I think it's going to be very, very difficult to maintain these very, what they call mega stations or mm-hmm. mega contractors or major towers who have, you know, a hundred employees, uh, especially in, in California. I also think that um, technology is going to completely come in and disrupt our market. I think app technologies are going to change the way that we see the largest volume of calls being funneled into the service provider. And because of these app technologies, and you look at what does it take today to be a tower, between the training, the equipment purchases, the all of the things that you have to do to establish yourself as a legitimate tow company, I don't believe it's the tow company that has as much to risk as the broker. Hmm. That that middle party, whether it, you know whether it be an auto club or, or some sort of call center or somebody who's funneling uh, work, they have huge overhead. Mm-hmm. Personnel, managers, middle managers, accounting departments, and all these other things that uh, you know the right placed app might be able to replace a large majority of those personnel and those wages and move that money to the end provider. And where we've seen in the last uh, year to two years so many well-established towing companies going out of business because of the insurance crisis mm-hmm. in our state, you know, supply and demand, our price point's going to follow. And so price has to come up. It just right. cannot stay a 10-year-old rate system and, and expect for our industry to survive. So... Our industry is not going anywhere. I mean, everybody's talked about self-driving cars and yeah. and all of these other types of technologies that are coming to play. And I think they will definitely affect the industry. They'll mm-hmm. definitely change how we do business. But, you know, my kind of golden rule is you take any type of technology and put a human being with it, don't worry. There'll be enough crisis and damage to <laughs> uh, provide for emergency services. Right. So, right. Um, you know, That's we figured true. out how to pretty much wreck anything uh, mm-hmm. as humans. So uh, I think that the apps are going to come in and they're just going to, you know, look at Uber, look at Lyft, look at uh, Netflix and, mm-hmm. and the blockbuster relationship. Look at, you know, my grandma's on Facebook. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the fastest growing demographic in Instagram right now is over 40. This is going to change. Yeah. And, you know, in, in four years, 60% of the workforce is going to be this millennial generation we talk about. And that is certainly going to have an effect on who we hire, how we hire and how we function our, our industry. And right. so there's a, a perfect storm brewing right here that is going to change. And, you know, those who can navigate the storm, I think are going to come out on the better side of this. And I think that, um, there are, um, brighter futures ahead. You know, we've seen in the auto collision business, uh, 25 years ago, there was a run of consolidation and a lot of consolidators bought out small businesses and in towing shortly after that, we saw that happen I wouldn't call it a success on either the auto collision side or the body shop side mm-hmm. or the uh, uh, towing side at that first run. In the second run, the auto body and the auto collision side has been very successful. We've got Caliber Collision. You've got uh, Service King. Um, you've got some of these other larger conglomerates across the country. I would say that, you know, history kind of repeats itself. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if in two to five years we see another run inside the, this industry for consolidator efforts. Interesting. Um, you know, kind of studying what they may have learned the first time, what they did wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with the stock market being what it is today, there's getting fewer and fewer places for them to go with large new money to try to invest and try to uh, create opportunity. Now, if I had a lot of money, I don't know that a towing company would be what I'd buy. Right. But 
we said that about auto body and and you know that doesn't hold water today they just as recent as in the last six months in Sacramento, they've bought up several more new independent shops as the consolidator effort. So, like I said, it wouldn't surprise me. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but right. it wouldn't surprise me if it did. So what does it take for a tow company to, you know, what are the key things someone has to consider to weather that storm? Uh, persistence, patience, what are the kind of key parts you would I think if you're recommend? in the towing industry, you may not have patience, but you definitely have persistence. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I mean, weather storm, don't weather storm, new tower, old tower. We're some of the most hardworking, persistent, dare I say, headstrong people I've ever met in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, to weather the new storm, I think you have to be creative, and I think you have to pay attention outside your walls of your industry. I think you have to start looking beyond the tow industry to how is the world around us evolving, and how do we adapt our industry to that evolving world? Right. Um, you know, if if the simple comparison I would give is if you're advertising your business in the yellow pages, you're in big trouble. <laughs> um, you know, if you're not specializing your website to be uh, mobile app friendly, uh, you know, you're in big trouble. Right. The, the, the motors on the side of the road and, the, and, and, and because of the generational habits and I'm talking, you know, I, I hate to talk too often in wide paintbrush tile, you know, this generation or that generation, right. but they're not, um, they're we're seeing trends that says they're not very membership based or club oriented. Mm-hmm. They'll jump from one brand to another based on if that brand product or service is working for them at the time. Right. So the idea to, to just maintain a membership and prepay for services you may not use, my belief is it's just not a popular practice we're going to see versus download this free app. Mm-hmm. It's not going to cost you anything and you won't need to pay for anything until your time of service. And then when you do need it, you hit the button and that service is just a moment away. Yeah. And, and a membership isn't going to change whether that does or doesn't happen for you. So that's changing. Um, the other part of it is that we are seeing a large push from the auto manufacturers that they are also unsatisfied hmm. with the current climate of how roadside service is being provided. You're seeing OEMs have multiple contracts throughout the country with two different providers so they can do their own in-house testing. Interesting. Comparing you know East Coast against West Coast performance based on the different relationships they're maintaining. Um, I know that we have a relationship with a particular group right now at servicing an OEM, and we're the West Coast version, and they're doing something different on the East. So um, you know, to say that the OEMs might not change direction and go with one of these new apps coming out... Uh, it's probably pretty likely. Interesting. Interesting. Well, a lot of change on the horizon for the industry, I would say. It's going to be interesting to see kind of where it all goes. Now, I want to try to move along a little bit out of uh, out of the towing specificity here and talk a little bit about your new venture uh, that you just started, I think, this year, Blue Collar. Right? January of this year. January yeah. of this year, brand new. So yeah. talk a little bit about what it is and, and what you guys do. So, um, again, kind of like I mentioned earlier, is I looked at what – you know, I looked in my business, what do I do well in the business? But then, And then what do I bring to the business and what do I do well in the business? And one of the things that I looked at is my ability to connect with my own staff and create a culture that was consistent. Mm-hmm. So even though I had 60 employees, my customers were coming back and telling me that even though I was inconvenienced and even though that I was um, you know, not planning on interacting with your people today, when surveyed, 95% of the time, they would say they were totally satisfied with the experience they had with my operator. And that told me that the monthly meetings, the, the coaching, the culture building, and the things that I was 
putting out to my staff was working. Mm-hmm. And what if I was to take that type of coaching seminar style uh, interactive and go outside the walls and go instead of micro in my business, go macro to the world and not just towing, but industry. Right. And then I started to look at what is my success story? Well, if you took trades and you took skill set, the, the, the automotive skill set away from me, I, I don't, I don't know where I'd be today. Right. I have no idea. So the, the skills of the automotive trade, fixing cars and understanding this trade has made the platform for me to be able to be successful, buy a shop, buy multiple shops, be a multiple business owner, have you know nearly 100 employees at one point, and give opportunities to people that maybe, maybe they wouldn't have it somewhere else, but they especially resonated with trades. Uh, we have one particular um, guy that works for us who came in as a janitor, and he's now the production manager in our body shop who mm-hmm. has a complete knowledge, and he's a journeyman-level technician at all facets of the automotive repair process. Wow. So he's, a, he's just a terrific success story. That's amazing. And so I wanted to go public and say, okay, let me. I'd like to share this trade opportunity. I've deemed it the blue-collar advantage, that... As you're coming through school, whether you're you know junior high, high school, or maybe even junior college age range, and the traditional education format doesn't necessarily resonate with you or you don't see your place in an office, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that there isn't a place in the world for you. And as we, you know, as you drove to work this morning, I bet if you just lately pay attention to what's going on around construction, housing, bridge building, roadway, infrastructure, it's everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Well, where are those people going to come from? Because so much of the techno, technical trades are not being, and not even educated, but even made aware mm-hmm. to the next generations that are coming through our school systems. And so I've kind of tried to be a little bit of an advocate to talk on the trades, uh, to talk about high-level customer service, teaching technicians to become frontline sales force, uh, just some of the platforms, and then you know, how do we communicate with this next generation? Part of the trade uh, challenge is labor. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if it's automotive, towing, construction, contracting, plumbing, electric. Everybody I've talked to, because I reached out to the trades and I said, hey, what if I was to come in and teach your technicians on how to be frontline sales force alongside their technical st- skill? And all of them have come back and said, that sounds great, Sam. Let me know where we're going to hire that person. <laughs> and so... As I dug a little deeper into that and I evaluated um, what some of the trades are doing or not doing and then what some of this generation coming out is being exposed to, um, we're finding that there's two ships passing in a night and they're not communicating with each other. Right. They're, they're, they're not connecting. The, the, this generation coming out just isn't even aware. It's not that they don't want to do the work. There, there's a percentage of this, of this group that when given the opportunity would probably love to rise to the occasion because they have the same thing in them that I have in me, which is at the end of the day when we build something, we fabricate or we weld or we repair something, we like to walk away and say, at the end of the day, I did that. Right. I was able to accomplish that with my hands. That still exists, but we're just not advertising the opportunity to them to expose them to the idea that they could go into these trades. And you know, maybe there's even an advantage there that they don't go into heavy student loan debt. They go right into a trade. They become an apprentice. They're paid day one. And they come out and have an opportunity to make, you know, as much, as little as they want. But but then that becomes the platform like myself, mm-hmm. that I have a skill set and a trade that I can take anywhere in the country. And I can become a, a, a manager, a shop a supervisor, a foreman, a business owner, 
and have my own employees and pass that opportunity back, you know, from the top back down. So that's kind of the large bubble of the blue collar guy. I've been able to go out and talk to, uh, you know, I've been able to talk to some youth. I've been able to go out and do some customer service seminars for some larger groups to, that kind of shed some light on the challenges of customer service in the technical field Mm -hmm. because it's not the same as a retail environment. Uh, There are safety concerns and there are things you just can't do because the environment that you're working in just doesn't allow for it. But we still have to be mindful that that customer's experience is still a sales opportunity and you still have to close them. You still have to sell to them. Uh, and, and the trick with technicians is they don't want to go to sales school. Right. <laughs> it's really hard to say, hey, guys, we're all going to get together and I'm going to teach you sales skills. They're not going to buy into that. That's why I became a technician. I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a salesman. Yeah. But at the end of the day, when you put you know, the electrician at the front door of the retail home or you put the plumber or you put the tow truck driver you know, with the wife and the kids on the side of the highway, whether he likes it or he hates it, he is performing a function of sales and customer service. And whether he does it good or whether he does it excellent, is going to differentiate him and that business from the peers of that industry. Absolutely, 100%. I want to pause for just a second and play a quick clip uh, of Sam doing uh, one of these interviews, just real quick, just so you can see what it's about. But definitely check out the YouTube channel uh, and and check out some of these videos. There's a lot of amazing information uh, for entrepreneurs, business owners, uh, and people trying to make something. So uh, let's, let's go ahead and play that. Awesome clip. Thank you, Sam. We appreciate that. Um, so I know you guys have, uh, you're on YouTube with these, but you also have a website as well. What's the URL for that? The TheBlueCollarGuy.com. TheBlueCollarGuy.com. And you can find me on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Awesome. So we'll go ahead and follow those folks. Uh, Sam, thanks so much for joining us today and, and talking about just everything under the sun with the industry and outside of it. Uh, we really appreciate it. A uh, little swag for you Sweet. here, CTTA hat. We also have these brand new uh, slow down, move over bumper stickers for CTTA. I'm a uh, big fan of that. So yeah, a couple of those for you. And uh, again, just thanks for sitting down talking to us. This is our first time doing this, and you were the perfect person. And, and well, thank we really you for the invite. It. I welcome uh, you know any interactions in the future, and uh, kind of you know. Proud to be the first guy through the door. So I think this is a great uh, great segue, great video, and uh, I think you guys will have a, a, a good opportunity to interview a lot of other uh, professionals of our industry. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Cool. Well, thank cool. you very much, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Bye.